Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time, and we are making really good progress on Isaiah. Definitely already around that halfway point, but today we're going to take a look at a psalm. You know, Isaiah is 66 chapters long. It is nice to kind of pause and consider some other things, and I think it actually fits really well um, with with some of the things that we're going to be looking at in Isaiah. We have an Isaiah coming up pretty soon. In Isaiah chapter 38, we're going to look at a psalm that is in the mouth of King Hezekiah, and that psalm, I think, has some connections to the psalm we're looking at today, that is Psalm 28. Psalm 28 is uh, not of Hezekiah, it's of David, but it is a short little one. It's about only uh, nine verses here, but it has some of these themes that we've seen before, looking at other psalms of David, um, but also just, I mean, there's some really cool wordplay in here, like uh, the plays, there's a play on the words for evil and neighbors that are very similar there's these kinds of themes of reversal, like if God is silent, then David will be silenced. Um, it's it's just it's cool to look at these these poems here, and not just to kind of look at poetry today, but then to see how really it's more than poetry. It's really just something that is the word of God speaking to us in our own situations when we feel like we are surrounded by people who are not speaking words of peace or kindness, but God has a word of his own kindness for us. Joining us today, as you might be expecting if you've been listening for a little while, we have Pastor Kevin Parviz to look at this psalm with us today. He's the pastor at Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis there in Dogtown. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Good morning, AJ. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, though. I was just telling somebody, you know, I'm, I'm contending with how the weekends just feel shorter and shorter. Yeah, that's true. I just heard how Microsoft is giving their employees four-day weeks with three-day weekends. We could sure use that. Yeah, you did too. I saw that, and I was like, yeah, yeah. let's let's try that experiment out over here. I wouldn't object. Yeah, I think there's a lot of productivity in a 10-hour workday. <laughs> Yeah, I work ten hours a day anyway. So well, I know, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I was. Yeah, no, that was an interesting article. But I, I feel like there's this, there's a truth to uh, the idea that there's only so much you're going to squeeze out of a day, and um, you know, at, at a certain point, it's just kind of busyness as opposed to actual That's productivity, right. right? And no matter how long our weekends are, they will always be too short. Oh, no, that's true. But, you know, I was, um, I was, I or was, what was it? I was talking with somebody talking about Genesis. And the thing about um, Genesis chapter one in particular is that, you know, you see God has this pattern, right, of, of work, you know, he works the six days and he rests on the seventh. And that's the pattern that we then have for our work day, uh, work week. That's the idea of Sabbath. But the thing that really struck me, and this was brought out to me by um, a particular author, I was looking at it, and uh, he, he made the point. There's actually rest at the end of each and every day. At, it, it's at, yeah. the, at the end of each day, it says, and then evening came, and then morning came. Like, and then God doesn't do anything more till the next day. God doesn't just like work, like you know, like all nighters. The the work of uh, creation, he he pauses. Yeah. All right. And that's a great uh, great lesson for us as well. If God is the king of the universe, needs to have that time. I don't know if he needs to, but he gives it to us as a pattern. We should take advantage of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, we're not going to like improve or, you know, uh, improve on God's pattern or somehow kind of outperform God in terms of productivity, right? Amen. Well, um, I, I don't know if the themes of work are really big in here in Psalm 28. It seems to kind of be more about, um, I mean, just, I mean, it's a plea for salvation, right? It kind of reads, I mean, very similarly to a lot of, um, the Psalms of David, but I, I think the, the theme that really stands out to me anyway is just the one of, of speech, of, of speaking, right? Yeah, certainly vocalization. There's, there's singing, there's crying out, there's all kinds of vocalizations. Right. And, and so, you know, we, we do, I do recall that, you know, when you look at creation, the doctrine of creation, there is this idea that, you know, what, what God has made kind of sings his name. Um, you know, we have that in the, in the theme verse in, um, in thy strong word, you know, in, in verse, I think it's verse five, right? Give us lips to sing thy glory. Uh, the idea is that when God creates, he, he creates something that's meant to, to, to praise. And uh, evil is that praise of God and those words of love and truth and kindness being silenced. And so, uh, I, I do think indirectly that's that's kind of how the idea of creation is seen in, in Psalm 28. And when we think about, especially with the season of Advent approaching, uh, we we think about our coming into God's presence. We have the sense that what we're going to be doing is dressed in, in white, gathered around the Lamb, singing praises to the King, whereas the others will be cast into silence and darkness. And there is this juxtaposition of when you're alone and dark, and who, who are you going to talk to? I mean, there's not, and that that and David gets into that a little bit in the second section of this psalm, you know, mm-hmm. the, the penalty for sin. And there is a work motif that that is here because, of course, in our liturgy in the Hebrew, uh, we we've, we've brought forth prayers where where God commands us to rest from our works and we have done that when we rest in Yeshua. No, yeah, that's true actually. And and you do yeah, in verse five there is the talk about the works of the Lord and that'll be interesting to look at. And then even earlier there's the workers of evil. So there there is a little bit of a, the idea of like that work idea as tied into that, you know, created for the work of praise and you know what what that exactly looks like so yeah yeah so even though it's a short one there's a lot of stuff in here and a lot of connections to be made yep well as we get started then would you uh start us off with our prayer sure abba father we thank and praise you for this day and uh, lord i uh ask father that you would just be with those of our listeners today that you would pour out your holy spirit for understanding Uh, for all those who might access this on all the wonderful ways in which you have given us the power to create in technology, Lord. We thank you that uh, your word goes out over all these mediums to the ears and the hearts of those who will hear. Uh, He who has ears, let him hear. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead, because it is short, I think we can read the whole thing once through, and then we can talk about um, each verse kind of blow by blow here. So I'll read the first, um, just the whole the whole thing at first, and then we'll go ahead and take a look at verse one in some, some detail then. 
Psalm 28 of David. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Yeah, so as as you were saying, they're, they're really kind of, you can see kind of two halves. It's not uncommon to have in these psalms the kind of pleading part, um, the part that's describing the situation of the problem, and then the, the final part that's kind of as, as if it has been answered, the kind of the both before and the the after here, um, though even in the in the final words, it's it's still kind of worded as kind of a plea still save your people, and, and bless them forever. So in the end, it's it's always coming back to God as one who's making a, a request, right? Yeah, I, I sort of see this as four parts where we have David's sort of cry of, of confession and repentance. His not wanting, you know, that then there's the law, his not wanting to be dealt with as the evil one should be dealt with and how they are dealt with. And then his absolution, he, he receives the, the comfort in his heart of the salvation that he knows he has in the third. And then the fourth is, of course, for his, the nation. After all, he is a king. And so his concern is not just for himself, but for the church that that God is building through his kingship. Right. And we've talked about that before, how he is representative of the people of God. And I mean, he is this mediary, right? Where to, to the people of God, he represents God. Um, to, to God, he kind of represents the people. And so there is this sense in which if God saves him, he does save the nation. And of course, that prefigures how when God saved Jesus, you know, which is a maybe may an unusual way to talk about it in Christian terms, but he did. I mean, he, he raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, right? When he saves um, the true Messiah, he saved all of us as well. Mm-hmm. And preserves his church, preserves his people. Right. Well, let's take a look. Um, and I think, think, thank you for mentioning that. I think that is helpful to kind of see that in, in four parts. Um, I, I think that, yeah, certainly if you look at the ESV, it actually kind of supports that too, kind of breaks off one and two on their own, and then three through five on their own, then six and seven and eight and nine in pairs. So I, I think the the translators agree with you um, <laughs> on that part. Let's take a look at this first part here, um, particularly um, verse one here. It is This is what kind of sets the the theme, I think, just verse one, to you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, 
lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. And, and what I find to be really interesting about that is, is it seems kind of with every line, there is this idea of, of sound, right? To you, O Lord, I call, and then my rock be not deaf to me, um, lest if you be silent to me. And then in the last one, there's nothing like that's explicitly about, about noise, but when it talks about the pit, right? You, you see what's the most common description of this. And it's all over the Psalms, right? Um, it's all over. I, I mentioned, we're going to see later in Psalm 38 or Isaiah 38, we're going to see the Psalm of Hezekiah and how does Hezekiah describe the pit or Sheol. It's the place where people go and they don't praise God because they are silenced. And so it seems like, like this idea of calling out in silence is um, just, you know, each line, boom, 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 four times, um, setting us up in this psalm here. Yeah, it's hard to. You know, there's a, a, a nobody. Nobody is surprised who've heard me preach that I'm a Doctor Who fan. And there's there's a foe called the Silence, and mm. it's it's really an eerie eerie series of episodes that gives us an idea of what it's like to have to deal with just silence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and in the Hebrew, right, I mean, the, even though we've talked about this a couple times before, like, the verbs for silence tend to also be the verbs that can mean either to, like, to stop or to stop moving or even right. to die or even be destroyed. Like, like there is something about, um, you know, like, silence that's just kind of inherently associated with death, um, and where, whereas life goes hand in hand with, with speaking and singing and, you know, sound, music, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why I love the image of of us gathered together around the throne of the Lamb, praising and singing praises to God. What a I mean, what a great eternity that is. We just had a funeral in our congregation, and that was kind of part of my themes was was this looking forward to the praise. Yeah. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the noise around us, and of course, life is is noisy and uh and yet it, it can be a cacophonous but this this praise of the church that we have to look forward to is going to be just amazing yeah and i, and I think that when we sell it short and then we say like oh i don't want to you know be an angel like harping on a cloud or something for all eternity <laughs> we 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 fail to appreciate you know just i mean really when you think think about it i mean music is like when i, I mean music like is a is a poetic way of expressing kind of like what makes us feel most alive, right? I mean, like you think about it, like the celebrations that we have, where there's there's just you know wonderful music being played, like whether that's like at a wedding reception or like if you go to a concert and there's singing and there's dancing, or you know, it's like in those moments, right? I mean, like where we just you know life is good and we can just kind of like lose ourselves in the moment. I mean, that's. That's just living. I mean, like, I think that we, we all kind of share this experience about the, the power of, 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 of uh, the sound of, of music and, and life and those celebrations, those sorts of moments that we hold on to. And, and I've had the privilege of teaching music theory to a group of high schoolers. Mm. And, uh, and it's just, I mean, music, 
God has given us such an amazing sense of order as we look at music. Yeah. And then and then we've often used the language that music is the international language. I mean, everybody resonates to to music. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is it is amazing how it's just built into that uh, built into us, you know. And I I had a moment to reflect on this. I was um I, uh, I I found something on Facebook Marketplace for my daughter, who's a big fan of Paw Patrol somehow. And um, <laughs> and when I was going to pick up a Paw Patrol item from this person, they just threw in some other stuff. And among the other stuff was a Paw Patrol guitar. Um, not something yeah. I was planning on getting for my three-year-old, but uh, when she saw it, she wasn't going to say no to it. So <laughs> so now my, my three-year-old toddler has a guitar and I mean, it's actually like a legitimate guitar. It's made out of plastic, but like it has like six strings and in like tuning knobs and everything. And so it was interesting to me how when it was out of tune and you'd strum the thing, even my three-year-old knew that it didn't sound good <laughs> and she could say uh -huh. like, yeah. oh, it's fail, you know, um, it's, uh, it's ugly. It's a bad sound and how like it, it's not until it gets in tune that you can strum the thing. And it sounds good. Like it's just it's no no one has to teach you what a good chord sounds like it's just it's in our bones right it's exciting too i mean it is and also we do resonate even to the i mean not the bad chords but the minor chords there's so much emotion mm -hmm. that music can evoke and the sound can evoke and and that's what's lovely about these psalms so many of these psalms were intended because of course David was a lutist and a lot of things, and and so he intended much of these for music. And so you have these minor chords, sort of deep emotional, sort of sadness psalms, and you have these major chord. And I, I love the psalm tones that we often use mm -hmm. because you have a series of major and minor tone psalm tones, so that you can express and evoke the nature of the psalm. Right. Yeah, yeah, and this is um this is one where I mean yeah, certainly like you've got your poetic lines that that really just kind of complement each other. Um you know, like in this is one where like in verse 1, like you know, each of these little lines like the first two like to you O Lord I call my rock be not deaf to me. Those are kind of restatements. Um and then like the next part then you've got two lines that they're parallel to each other. If you be silent to me, I go down to the pit, right? Um, but they're kind of the complement of, of those. And so it's kind of this kind of like, um, you know, kind of A, A prime, B, B prime kind of. And, and I, don't, I don't know if I'm saying that and causing anyone to have like, you know, horror flashbacks to their English class. But, you know, right. I mean, that's kind of. <laughs> that's kind of the idea of how these things fit together that like, you know, you, you can kind of, um, and if you were setting it to music, right. Um, there's a lot of cool dual tones that would work really well where you would kind of, um, kind of build up on the first two half lines and then you would kind of come back down on the second two. And like, it, you can tell it's like meant to be put to music. Yeah. And I, I do, I do love the chanting of psalms. Uh, I, we don't do it nearly as much as I would like these days, I suppose, but uh, it's, that's what they're meant to be. But as I, I think I've told you before, my my daughter, who's a musician, she and I have early on in my ministry worked together to try to set these to sort of singable melodies that aren't just not necessarily chant tones and. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's an interesting process. We haven't finished and hardly gotten very far with life being what it is. But right. uh, 
it's a lovely process to go through. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's and it's hard to. I mean, there's a challenge, of course, when you're trying to, you know, work your way through these, like, you know, in a way that you could put it to music, and how do, how could you maybe kind of do a fresh translation that could maybe work in English for the music's sake while doing justice to the Hebrew. That's a challenge. And um, part of it is you don't want to lose a lot of this imagery. Like one of the things I I was going to mention here about verse one, it's a really neat idea. um, If it it says, you know, my rock be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent, you know, I go down to the pit. Like the idea is like, if God is silent, then we're going to end up being silenced. You know, like the only reason why we have like sound and, and a voice and speaking, right? Or even just, you know, just go back to the, you know, creation idea. The only reason why we have breath, right? Is because God is the one who breathes out into us. And so like in this very first verse, there kind of is that creation theme actually, because, you know, it's only because of God that we go on singing, that we go on having music. He's He's our source there. If we become silent, it's because God is silent to us. Yeah, and of course you have this wonderful irony, if you want to call it that, of a rock, which, mm. you know, in our natural state, we think of rocks as inanimate and death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, and yet, you know, so he says, "This my rock be not death to me. It's, you know, obviously that's a cue for us. This is not a traditional rock. I was going to say, we, we've seen that a few times in, in the Psalms yeah. that, um, I mean, rock is just kind of, and actually there's even some Psalms that talk about not just God is my rock, but it talks about, you know, people who have other gods and they talk about, you know, David talks about their rock or their rocks. Yeah. I mean, it's almost synonymous with just with God in the Psalms by the time that, that David kind of uses it as much as he does in the ways that he does. Well, and it's the foundation upon which our faith is built. And if you're built on a bad rock, uh, and, you know, Jesus, of course, uses this. He switches it up a little bit to shifting sand, but build your house on the rock and not on shifting sand. It's that foundation of which, what is your faith built on? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Well, let's go ahead and... and, and, Go ahead. The content of verse 1, which I think so many people struggle with, because they feel like God is not listening to them. Yes. And when they they feel abandoned by God, then they lose their faith. That's kind of what David is crying about, lest I be one who goes down to the pit. Right. Uh, When we feel like God is not listening, and I've very recently had to help people kind of understand that God is always listening. We just don't, we don't hear what he's saying to us. Yeah. And you know, I think people also, some people still want this kind of miraculous, you know, breaking into their lives and something changing was that we don't have to do the work. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, that's God broke into our lives and changed us at the cross. But that doesn't keep us from having to do the work of, and of course that's the talk later, is the work of our faith. Yeah, well, there's also something kind of paradoxical, I think, um, just with like maybe 30 seconds here before our break, about about silence there in that case. Like I'm reminded of, wasn't it like the prophet um, Elijah who had that experience with God, who's like, you know, calling out and he wants to yeah. hear from God. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, there's like a big earthquake and there's a big fire and there's a big wind and there's all these loud, noisy things, right? But God's not in any of those things. Finally, after they all pass, he's in the sound of this little whisper, right? Yeah. Like, like just so just like you were saying, like, how often is it that God is actually talking to us and like speaking to us? But the problem is we've turned up the volume on way too many other things. Like we're not yeah. we're not hearing the music um, the sound of God that's already there. And ironically, if we're going to hear that, we need to silence the other things that are distracting yeah. us. Um, but yes, yeah, so hang on to that thought. We got to go into a break, but everybody yeah, hang with us. We're looking at Psalm 28 here on thy strong word. We'll be right back. friend, you have a friend in Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, and friends among his people at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri. You will find Christ-centered word and sacrament ministry, inspirational liturgical worship services, and faithful preaching and teaching. Sunday worship services are at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 1030. We invite you to join us. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, 2211 Tenbrook Road, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Psalm 28 here, and we're joined by Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Chayav Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. And we were just, well, we got through verse 1, all right? So uh, <laughs> but it's okay. It's a, it's a short, short psalm here. It's only nine verses. But just reflecting on these these themes of uh, silence and sound of music and the breath of God, life, um, how all these things kind of tie together. And the last thought we were just having was just how, you know, how we can sympathize with David, this, this feeling of longing that we would hear something from God. And, you know, maybe God sounds as silent as a rock, but, you know, the question is, is it really him or is it us? Is it maybe not so much that he's not speaking, but that we're not listening or that there's other things that are drowning him out? Um, not because, again, not because there's anything wrong with the way that he's speaking to us as he speaks to us gently, 
but that we've turned up the volume on these other things, these distractions in life. If you've got a thought or comment along those lines or anything else jumps out at you here in Psalm 28, I do encourage you to call in with any questions or comments you might have. You can send an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or you can call 1-800-730-2727 or if you're there in Dogtown or anywhere in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. So, yeah, that that idea is is very relatable, I think, that we all feel can feel like David, just that idea of, you know, you, you want to hear something from God. And and of course, I think that um, when David is speaking, though, um, the way that God would not be deaf or not be silent to him would be that God would then act. And I, I think that sometimes uh, this is the way that we this is this is the challenging thing. And you mentioned doing the work, and I think part of the work is um, hearing the words of Scripture and then seeing that God is indeed active and in some ways answering us and speaking to us in the things that are happening in our very lives. Yeah, I don't think we know quite how to be still and know that He is God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But being still is an important concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, if you're moving around and you're not letting God be God, it's very hard sometimes to see how he is actually at work and present and and, and all the rest. You have to wait for it. Well, let's go ahead and read verse 2, kind of complete the thought. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. You know, so so this is obviously rounding out the idea in verse one, completing that first you know quarter chunk that you were mentioning, and so th- this is kind of interesting. It's, it feels like a restatement, but now you actually have the developing thought of the sanctuary now. So suddenly we kind of have it's the the idea of the temple has been introduced into this. I mean, the Hebrew, I'm sure you've seen this, the Hebrew is the, your innermost sanctuary. Right. Which sometimes we think of, I, I think, as the physical temple. And of course, David would have looked toward the tabernacle and the temple that he desired and would build after his father. Um, but I think there's something about the, the sanctuary that is within us, too, this innermost I think there's there, there's a kind of play on words there in the Hebrew that might be also, you know, for us who don't who who our temple is our bodies. Hmm. You know, Christ has built us into a temple, and uh, you know we don't have to make pilgrimage to Mecca or to Jerusalem to find the temple anymore. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, and that, that is one of the, you know, big ideas in the New Testament, the idea that, you know, of the body, like you were saying, that that the that the temple, uh, God's true temple, is, is the one that he made for himself, you know, that we didn't build it for him, you know, kind of like what he said to David. Um, but, yeah. but God goes and he builds it, and it's uh, the body of his son, Jesus Christ, and that's the body that we're built into right so so he's the the cornerstone and each of our bodies is like a another stone that's like built around it and 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 on him and and into 
that bigger structure that each of our bodies is a part of the body of Christ. And so you're, you're right. It's not that we take a pilgrimage um, to go down to Jerusalem or go to Mecca, though there is actually a trip that we make, right, um, to experience the unity of the body of Christ. So mm-hmm. go to the church. Right. Yeah. Go and receive the sacrament yeah. when we, when we yeah. like, live out that, that unity and that oneness. But we also, also, I think it's important because so many churches have become so parochial and they, they don't work together with other churches. I mean, when we're at when we're at our congregations, we're but one set of stones that are, you know, yes, the foundation of of the temple is Christ as the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, but our congregations are not the complete of it. It is all of of the church, both visible and invisible. And I think, and I love that language in the communion service, because with, you know, with angels and archangels and all the company of yeah. heaven, we like to magnify. We're, we're not insular here in, in our little churches. We're, we're, much, we're part of a much bigger church that we always have to be reminded of. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's well said. You know, when we, when we have that communion, right, that, that is being a part of something much, much bigger that, you know, that's the thing, right? It's, um, it's kind of a, you know, not that I actually advocate that anyone would give their pastor this sort of smart, helicky reply, but the pastor asks, how many people did we have for communion today? Um, you know, like you, you could say like, well, infinity or like, you know, well, millions or billions or something like that. Right. Because when you're at the altar, you're there with everybody. I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the kind of the paradox, right? I mean, the paradox is like, even when, you know, the Catholics down the street are, you know, there like at their own, you know, altar and we, the Lutherans are over here at our altar. And then the other Lutherans are down the street at the, the other altar. Right. And it feels like we're each at separate altars, but but somehow when, when that communion happens, you're actually there with everybody. And, and also those who have gone before us. Yeah. Left that altar with us. Yeah. yeah, just, just and, had and all I, Saints I, Day, I, yeah. All those who will ever come after us are, you know, until the day of Christ's return, the faithful descendants that we will have are communing with us at that moment. Right. And, and, and that really ties in then beautifully because there's, the, there's this uh, sense, right, where when we do have that unity and we do have that sacrament experiencing the body of Christ, you know, the, the most holy sanctuary, that, that there is this sense in which the dead, um, though they have been silenced and then there, you know, there is that sense where they've gone to Sheol, right? Like, you know, you don't hear them, right? They're not talking with us. They're, they're, you know, gone. They're absent in one sense. And, and yet in Christ, they still make a sound and and more than that they still even in a way you could say sing right with with angels and our angels and all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore praising you and singing right and then we go into the sanctus right i mean there's that sense um where like according to the vision of of john that like in in christ even even though according to the body they're silent um in christ they sing with us yeah, that's a lovely picture. I always love to stress that at communion. Absolutely, absolutely, something that we just—it's—it's um, it's a reason to want to go back to that altar um, just as often as we can. 
Well, let's go ahead and read the next three verses here, this next chunk, that the second quarter, um, as you were mentioning here. And uh, this is nice because this will have an opportunity, I hope, to bring up a, a common theme of reversal that we have been talking about a few times now with the Psalms. So here's just verses 3 to 5. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. So th this is this is really fascinating then because we were just talking about, you know, being built up into the body of Christ and like the work and the temple um, well, here, here it is. Like this is this is the work, right? It's kind of like what are you, what are you building or what are you tearing down? And so, um, speech has been connected now to building. And um, I mean, I don't know. We, I mean, you, I think of Paul when he talks about, you know, like what will you say to your brother? You know, what 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 is it that builds up, builds up, builds each other up? What is it that tears down? There's um. Yeah, there's a, there's these ideas being connected here, uh, work and speech. Well, and again, the question always comes down to when we have to talk about work is whose work is it? And the work of the evildoers is their work, right? Mm -hmm. and, and our work is not our work. It is Christ's work in us. Yeah. So that's, and it's always that which we have. You know, I, I always, I always avoid. Uh, we're reading Daniel in the uh, Bible study at our congregation, and you know, when you get to Nebuchadnezzar and his, uh, um, his all his first person pronouns about the things that he has done, which right. cause his doing. Uh, you know, that's we we have to struggle against that because we always want to use the first person pronouns rather than the majestic third right right here, here yeah here i am and i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do this other right. thing right it's very easy to fall into that but you're you're right like and it's not like it's you know uh <laughs> this is something that you know you struggle with with uh undergrads but you know like they're you know sometimes they ask you say so i cannot can i not use first person pronouns in my essay and i, and I tell them it's not that like you can't say like the first person. You can't say like I do this or I disagree. Like it's fine. Like you can talk in the first person. It's not like the first person is evil <laughs> or something like right, that. Yeah. It's just that when you're using it all the time, that should raise a red flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's true in a, in a in an essay or a research paper, and that's also true in theology. That when it's you, when you keep repeating it over and over that should give you pause and, and make you stop and think because there is this really interesting um, incongruity here that you have on the one hand david's like you know the evil ones yeah reward them according to their work and their deeds and what they have done and made and, uh, but that, but he doesn't say on the other hand oh lord and give to me according to my work of righteousness and, right. and my deeds of holiness. He doesn't say that, right? Like he just he just kind of leaves it as like, well, God's going to punish them because they don't regard God's works. I mean, he's contrasting the works of evildoers with the works of the Lord and the work of God's hands. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that David, uh, I mean, of course, all of us as human beings confuse those things every now and then. But David, not. He is. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. Also, so that's it's very interesting then for us then that it's like in this in these verses here, the idea is less that like, well, you know, the evildoers are doing all this evil stuff, and we're doing just this really holy stuff. And of course, that's true. I mean, if you get it, understand that right? That there, is, there is you know us doing good works, or as you as you put it, brother, um, you know, God working, Christ working in us. But that really, I mean, the emphasis here is that kind of the work of of faith is just regarding the works of God, right? It's just looking and being still, looking what God has done. I mean, isn't that interesting the way he puts it, like the, the works of the Lord or the work of his hands? I mean, that's the language of looking at God's creation, looking at God's recreation, his salvation, that, yeah, that faith is just does. being still and letting God do it. And the, the evil workers here are not even regarding those works. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, one so of the other things there is this warning here that David gives us in this. I mean, it's in, and it's keep in mind this is also before his expression of forgiveness that he has received, and that this is following his repentant prayer. But he's setting himself sort of apart still here from the evil workers by using that there. Hmm. Yeah. No. That, no. That's true. I mean, like, and, and when you do. Um, look at it even in in the Hebrew there there, there are like a couple of instances where, where it does seem like he is trying to make this 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 strong distinction between you know them and um yeah like even himself or kind of implicitly as he as we're getting towards the end we'll, when it will be made explicit the the people of God yeah. um but yeah only only because of again who's their foundation who's their rock right who's the one who who, who gives them voice and sound and life and all the rest of it. it um, it's that dependence on God. And, um, and, and part of it, and this is something that I, I really, I, uh, I was just, it really struck me in the Hebrew in, in verse three, right? So don't drag me off with the wicked, right? I mean, there, there it is kind of still this distinction, like, Hey, don't punish me like them, right? Like, you know, it's implicitly asking God to, you know, treat him differently, um, and, and so, you know, he says this, how does he describe these evildoers? They speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. And that's a fun little, um, pun in Hebrew because the word for, uh, evil and the word for neighbor, um, are almost the, the same, right? Like you can just, an evil, evil is just like raw and then like neighbor is like Raya, right? Like it's very, very similar. Um, and those truths of words in the Hebrew are right next to each other. I think if you, um, try to do this in English, it would be something like, you know, these evildoers, they, you know, with their mouths, they bless the village while being in their hearts villains, right? Like some, right, something yeah, along those good. lines, right? Well, thank you. I, I had to. I had to, I had to spend a little, like a whole minute there, kind of thinking about that. But like, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, you know, try now. Try doing it a million times over again, right? <laughs> like, good luck. But, but and of course, you can't. You can't read that section of the, the psalm without thinking of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and his distinction mm -hmm. between, you know, what you have. I have, you know, you have heard it said. Thou shalt not kill, but I tell you, you've already killed in your heart. You left right. it in your heart. There's right. all of your actions are one thing, but what is it in your heart? 
Right. No, exactly. And God, God sees through to the heart. And so he isn't seen, uh, isn't fooled by appearances. What, so the kind of thing that's interesting, right, is like, so there's this reversal idea, right? Give them according to, to their work. This is, um, if I can just, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, but it, I feel like every time we talk about the reversal theme and God punishing the wicked, um, you, you like to quote Hamlet and uh, go, go back to that phrase, be, be hoist uh, with their own petard, right? Um, All right. <laughs> And uh, I have to confess, it's been it, it was a long time since I've actually gone through Hamlet in its entirety, and so I, I recognized the phrase the first time that you used it when we were looking at I forget which psalm, but I had I had to go back and be like, okay, hang on a second, what was that? I can't I can't remember. Um, and so for everybody listening who's, who says like, what did he just say? Hoist um, with his own petard, or uh, hoist with their own petard. The, the the full quote I think is something like um like like t- something like tis good sport that the engineer be hoist with his own petard something like that and a petard is a is an explosive device um, <laughs> and uh, Hamlet there is saying that um, because I, I, I know I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll end this quickly someone's like I didn't turn tune in to listen to Shakespeare. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I love Shakespeare. But yeah, no. But just, just if, 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 yeah, yeah. But so if if everyone was bear with me, so like a batard is an explosive device, and so the idea is like there's this kind of crafty, um, you know, engineer type person who's trying to blow something up, and here, um, this guy's actually blown up himself with his own yeah. little bomb, and so this is kind of in English our equivalent to when we say, yeah, it just blew up in his face, right? Like when you've got something and it kind of spills over back on you, like the yeah. same same kind of idea here. I mean, Hamlet there actually is what the thing that's what kind of beautiful about that in the story. Um, his friends Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are delivering a letter that's requesting that Hamlet be killed, and Hamlet changes the letter so that it be that rather Rosencrantz and Guildenstern be killed, and so if I'm getting their names right. And so he, yeah, he has yeah, gone and changed it over so it blows up on, on them. Right. And they become hoist. Yes, they become hoist. And, and what's, so what's interesting about that is it's in the words, right? So it's like, you know, there they have, like, they're going and bearing words of destruction, but in the end, the words come back on them, which is kind of the same idea here that, you know, they that they have this evil word in their hearts that's masked with with peace right but that evil word god sees it and it's going to end up you know if they're not going to say it because they're hiding it it's like god says it you know kind of in that kind of hamlet like reversal where it, where it blows up on them in the end yeah and that's you know we don't want to recognize the works of god's hands that our works are going to blow up on us and we're going to go down into that pit of darkness and silence Right. Well, so so it really is what I mean. What it what it is, right? Is it's like it, it's basically we're getting the reversal that we were asking for. Like we are being reversed and bent in on ourselves, and we we have a heart of evil, but we're reversing that with our words, just trying to mask it, right? 
but but God, it's like He sees through it, and He's like, "Oh no, no, you're you're backwards." So I'm gonna, you know, this is like you know, multiplying a negative by a negative number or something like that. Like, so I'm gonna reverse this again, and then things are actually gonna be right. And and now it's exposed, um, and and you know, it's like you wind up with egg on your face. But so when God does this reversal, you know, it's not like God's being capricious and like, oh, here comes God. He's just gonna you know flip the table and just turn everything upside down. I mean, it's really because everything already is upside down. It's because you know evil has just upset God's order. It's because evil has made chaos of everything. In order to set it straight, you got to kind of bring the chaos to chaos. Yeah, and I love I love the image that you're you're painting. And if we're waxing poetic here in this psalm, we can also talk about like C.S. Lewis and his space trilogy, where the ones who were evil were called the bent ones. And there's mm. a difference between being bent, which is bent back over into yourself, right? and then those who are teshuvad, who are turned 180 degrees in a different direction from which they're going. And that's what David is. He's teshuvah, and these other guys are just bent ones. Yeah. You know, that, that's really that's really good image, right? It's like if if something is bent, you have to bend it back to be straight, right? You got to bend it yeah. more if you're, if you're going to fix it. Right. I mean, it's the, it's the same sort of idea. That's um, kind of yeah. It's a really nice picture for it. But here we already we only have like a few minutes. I guess too much waxing on poetry here. But let's let's take yeah, the. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so let's go ahead and read the last half here. Um, and this is kind of then unpacking this um, answer then. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So it it just feels here at the end like we just kind of have like all of the images and all of the poetry just kind of all at the same time, right? I mean, like <laughs> you've got the Lord as a strength and a shield. You're exalting him with with your heart and your song. You know, he's the the strength and the refuge, and he's also the shepherd who who carries us. We kind of have all these things uh, blurred together here. Well, and you, I mean, the, the third couplet there, the third section, that last section, the last couplet, you know, it's all about David personally receiving the, the comfort in his heart that he has received from God based on his plea for mercy. He has heard him, and he knows now that the Lord is his defense. And then, of course, David as a shepherd king for the people, I, I love the shepherd, uh, you know, the shepherd imagery because of david as a shepherd king you know he's he's and then there's of course the mention there of the protection of the lord's anointed that's not david that's the messiah to come uh the the protection of the church this is he is not just my shield he is the upright uh, the uplifter of all of his church right yeah no and this this is um you know you get to the idea of like you know a mighty fortress um just the idea of you know that it is Christ who is the the elected one of God the chosen one the anointed one and that you know there's though 
Yeah, well, yeah, and, and then like there's this there's this one line in that hymn, right? You know, like though devils all the world should fill, right? Like there's this idea uh-huh. of even though that there's this 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 cacophony, I like that you use the word, right? Of of this battle between good and evil, and all these evil voices trying to drown out the word of the gospel, right? It's because Christ is a refuge, right? Um, and a shield and a place of safety that we can actually exalt and sing out, right? You you can't exalt and sing out when the din of battle um, and the oh, clanging yeah, of swords and shields is going on, right? Yeah. And you love that imagery because those are, that's not battle imagery. That is, we shelter, we are taking refuge, that's shelter, under right. a great shield. Exactly. And in that protection, we don't have to worry about the enemy. We can even sing because it doesn't matter whether they find us or not. Mm-hmm. Right. You no. Know, yeah. ex- exactly. Like it's it's in the shelter. It's in it's in the castle. It's in the fortress. Right. That because yeah. you are being protected, that you can like bring out the instruments and put away the weapons and sing and and put away the fear and have joy. Yeah, because when you're hiding in fear, all you're doing is being quiet. That's it. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is its own kind of death. If you, if all your life you're just having to be quiet, like, but if you can have confidence and protection so that you can sing, right? Like you're you're being given life even in the midst of it all. Yeah, I see that pit that David is concerned about as being a, a refuge of fear, where you have to be quiet for fear that the demons would find you. Right. Yeah, that's right. It would be a kind of death in the midst of life, but you know, because of Christ, you know, and and because God has acted in Christ to to save His anointed and to save us, and to be that refuge and us finding that refuge, and like we said, in communion, a refuge that even if we are killed, we you know, with all the saints, still have a voice in the refuge that is Christ, buried with Him that you know, we we have this song that cannot be drowned out no no matter how loud or how scary the enemies of god seem to be amen amen well brother it's always a good time discussing the psalms with you taking a look at this poetry and and just unpacking it though and i appreciate the way you were describing it in terms of you know just how we live out our own lives and not in silence and fear but but in joy so thank you brother and looking forward to having you thank on again you. real soon God bless you, JJ. Tell Gabby I said hi. Yeah, say hi to Colleen. Um, everybody, that's Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks for joining us today. Check out our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.